Listen to ordinary people who lead extraordinary lives. Their leadership styles forever impressed in the hearts and minds of people, be it in their professions, personal life, and or in communities by being an example of greatness. Be inspired by these personal stories and prepare to be both moved and motivated as Maurice Manley II, the serial entrepreneur, interviews present and future icons. Challenge yourself to recognize the leader that lives within so that you may continue to grow and experience amazing things in life. We are all capable of leadership. Take charge and lead up. This is episode number 25, Empowering Yourself Through Your Vision. As the executive director of Urban Ed Academy, Randy Saraguchi sheds light on leading first from within, and secondly, having faith that as you step in new and different directions, each move that you make is the right move. Listen as Randy shares his path to success and learn how he continues to lead by putting others first. Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Saraguchi. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Lead Up. I'm here with Randy Saraguchi, the executive director of Urban Ed Academy in the Bay Area, correct? Yes, sir. How are you today? I'm pretty good, man. That's Uh, good. Yeah, that's good. You're always blessed down in L.A. You're right about that. Um, I want to take a minute. You know, when you guys came in, you told me about Nipsey Hussle's uh, murder or death, and it floored me. So I want to just send respects to his family, his friends, his children. Um, It's an unfortunate event and in time that we're living in something's got to change got to you know and who they want people to see them as and it's got nothing to do with the external nothing to do with anybody else but somebody somewhere saw his own positivity and his internal building as offensive right to them yeah um, and, you know, not to get into racial dynamics about stuff, but we see that oftentimes outside of our community. Somehow, some way, our, our building and our development means deficit for you. Right. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate, like you yeah. said. Man. Yeah. So let's turn this on a brighter note. <laughs> <laughs> Try to lift my spirits, inspire myself some kind of way. Um, prior to you just kind of want to like go back in history and if, if we can um prior to you becoming the executive director at urban ed academy uh i know you ventured into law and prior to that you were a school teacher correct um no not not um in the in the, the formal sense of a credential you know person that is entrusted with um, 20 to 30 students for the entire year. Uh-huh. Um, I had a chance to teach, uh, teach constitutional law, um, with a, a, a team of teachers that okay. were all law students in my second year of law school. It's called the Marshall Brennan Constitutional Literacy Project. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was my first taste though of service hmm. in a true way. 
Um, where did the inspiration come from for you to vent, you know, go that route? Um, honestly, uh, in a weird way, I feel like it's kind of always been on my on my heart to serve and to to give back to to my community, to my family, you know, through education as okay. a platform. I was blessed to have an opportunity from small town New Jersey, Asbury Park, very similar to you know any other black neighborhood mm-hmm. in America, uh, s- small or otherwise, um, where folks don't really make it out like that. Yeah. And you get a chance to go to a premier institution like the University of Michigan, Go Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you take that seriously, and yeah. you meet folks, like-minded folks, um, and, and namely the Brothers of Alpha Fraternity Incorporated Epsilon Chapter Fifth House, where we served uh, on weekends at Bethel AME, at AME Church, tutoring, and you know, you know, college. So there's a lot of distractions. But um, it was always a time to coalesce, even in those early Saturday mornings. Nobody wanted to be up. So that was kind of like a kernel okay. of inspiration. And then in law school, uh, really going into these classrooms, the inspiration came. Um, and uh, up, take a beat. Keep going. Okay. Um, the inspiration came and from a vantage point of not necessarily wanting to evangelize kind of the knowledge around constitutional law. It's important to know your rights. Yes. And so particularly for our kids in our community, um, having that knowledge is, is a thing we wanted to, to, to help them get to and find. Mm-hmm. But it was the, the circumstances around the, the class was such that it was, was the inspiration. And we were teaching the Constitution to a class that couldn't read it. Hmm. And that's what hit me. Cause it was, okay. it was almost set up and designed to not be an important thing. Um, it was an elective, it was first period. So half the class was, you know, truant or late right. and then nobody really cared. Um, but the couple of kids that did come and she was serious about it, you know, but couldn't necessarily dive into the materials all the way. It almost became a, just a mentoring session. And, um, you know, I can't, I, I don't want to take credit, as, but I'll say this. I was the only black man as part of this group. And I, even with my sort of dizziness around mm-hmm. trying to be this inspiration, but also, you know, building myself yeah. as, as a law, full-time law student, I wasn't always there all the way okay. mentally. And yet these kids were showing up. So that pushed me to find out more. Um, and I took a, constitu- a, 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 a law, an education, a law and policy class, and that really turned me on to wanting to do more um, beyond just either being a lawyer or any individual pursuit I had um, as a professional. What, what was it about taking that class that turned you on, took you to that next level? Um, seeing that there, that even under the law and having um, an agreement, like a, a social agreement that this is an important thing mm-hmm. and that we want everybody to have it and we don't need people to pay for it. Public education should have a certain level of quality. You saw that there was, you know, there are cases like Baki in California, uh, cases like Lee versus Bollinger um, in, in Michigan, mm-hmm. where it was unconstitutional to focus on kids that didn't have as much as other kids. And for me, government always was a body that was supposed to be an equalizer. It wasn't supposed to be something that helped tilt the scales in favor of someone 
to an overall like advantage. Yeah, okay. It wasn't. It's not about creating advantage. It's about creating a level playing field. Right. Can I get you to a place where you can be successful in this country and live the American dream, just like the the, the person next door? Least amount of friction, friction as possible. Right. And that's supposed to be education. Um, and seeing it play out, you know, almost in favor of the bad guy. If there, if I'm sorry, almost in favor of the bad guy. If there is one, and you know, we'll call that bad guy the system. Yeah. Because you know, there's a whole host of conversations we can go down <laughs> with when it comes to the people involved. Yeah. Yeah. That that sort of hit me there. Now, going back to when you were in, in school yourself, like. And I'm not talking about college or even high school, but say elementary or middle school, mm-hmm. were there any teachers that had such an impact on you to where that impact still resonates with you today? Like where it has affected your choices and the decisions you've made for yourself? Um, man, that is actually a question I've never, I've asked people. <laughs> In our travels uh, with Urban Ed, but I'll say this. I went to a specialized high school in Monmouth County, New Jersey. It's called High Technology High School. Okay. And it was a, it was a small school in that I think it was a total of about 250 students, mm-hmm. um, about 60 or so kids per class. So very individualized attention and a lot of resources around us. I'd say I, I saw really the school as a unit. You know, there were teachers that I, I liked and I, I, I appreciated their attention to us. Okay. But um, coming to your question, I was actually more influenced by the absence of a particular type of teacher, mold mm-hmm. of teacher, and that is um, a black man. In my, I went to public school nine out of my 12 years, K through 12 or excuse me, nine out of my 13 years, K through 12, pre-K through 12. And I didn't have one black man as a teacher. There was Mr. BJ in, in elementary school who was the janitor, mm-hmm. cool as hell. Um, everybody knew him, everybody respected him. Um, he would, you know, he would help in hallways as kids were wild or not or whatever. And that was it. Everybody else, nobody, even my, my coaches um, at the, the local high school, my city high school, the coaches even, uh, you know, we, I didn't have enough touch with them to consider them that. Okay. But having, having the proximity there and it being noticeably absent in these other places mm. um, was more of a motivator than any individual teacher who, who I actually had, if that, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense because it sounds like that, that had, that the absence had such an impact on you, um, to where it still carries with you in terms of having the representation of blackface, Mm -hmm. uh, preferably I'm sure black male face matching a child of color. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do learn better from our own. We do. I've, I learned this just yesterday too, doing a presentation over at LMU. It's called the fun. It's funds of knowledge is the approach. Fun F U N S or F U N D S. F U N D S. Okay. 
funds of knowledge and I don't want to go down to it because I don't I just learned about it so <laughs> really no. but this funds of knowledge approach is that is you shouldn't look at an individual and in, you know coming to help you from a deficit mindset everybody's got something to add to the table and this theory that there is value in seeing yourself in somebody particularly somebody that is your leader absolutely your educational leader yes you have uh, with this funds and knowledge approach, somebody that looks like you, you're able to connect on a multi-strand relationship level. Hmm. I.e., I know that you, I know you as a black person. Yeah. I know you as a black man or black yeah. boy. I know you as a black boy in this neighborhood. Okay. Grew up in low socioeconomic status. Um, you know, multiple brothers and sisters and cousins mm. and, and who are, you know big family situation. So team player. Yeah. In terms of how you grow up and how you approach life. Um, yeah, man, it, it we do know that. And um, I, I can't say it, it's funny that you said it's it still carries with you because I, I try to truncate it and say, like, oh, well, I got to a place as a grown up and as a professional where I'm good. You know, I'm still learning, but I'm, I'm sure enough of myself that I can move. Mm -hmm. But in, in 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 developing still as a person, as an adult, as a leader. Um, I feel like, I feel like I've, I've missed some things. Yeah. And, or maybe not, or maybe not, but you know, there, there could have definitely been earlier affirmations. Yeah. Had, I think somebody like me was, was able to, to lead. You know, that's, that's tricky because <laughs> there's always the negative or not negative. I don't want to say negative, but there's, there's always the reality mm -hmm. you know which is our current state and then there's always like okay well well what if if we go by the what if then it's very possible that your reality wouldn't be the way it is now man very real right very true so it's it's kind of a, a gift and a curse or a blessing if you will that that absence did exist because it set you on a path and it changed the trajectory of your life true and so now you can have an impact at at a level that they probably wouldn't have been able to have had that representation been in existence to begin with. Yeah, because I'm sure somebody would have been like, are you going to law school? So you're going to be a lawyer, right? <laughs> you ain't about to be uh, <laughs> driving a Nissan Sentra and uh, running around these neighborhoods. You ain't going to be doing that, right? Yeah. Man, yeah, but facts, big facts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always tell people, you know, where we are right now currently is perfect mm. because no matter what, number one, this moment is all we have Yeah. for one. Yeah. Number two, we got to this moment based on what happened in the past. If the past doesn't happen, this moment no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And this moment is great. So now you change the greatness. Who knows, you know, if if a person had both of their parents, maybe they would end up spoiled and they didn't have to drive and the tenacity to push through certain issues and challenges. Right. But the fact that the parents weren't in the home gave them that that hunger and that and that thirst. And so yep. they they approached life with a, a certain level of vigor and tenacity. You know, and, and that's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And that, that, that building has to be on top of some foundation. Right. And some layers. Now, you're 100% right, man. It's wise words. <laughs> Thank you. 
Yeah. <laughs> How now when you got into law, yep. um, I heard you say that you knew that law, that's not where you were supposed to be. How, how did you come to that realization or how did you realize that there was something more or greater? Because I would imagine you pursue to go to law school because in that particular moment, mm -hmm. you thought it was cool or you thought that was something that you wanted to do or you had an aspiration for it for whatever reason. Right. Once you got there, you were like, uh, this is all right, but there's more. Yeah, I was um, I was actually on the path still to, okay. to trying to become, you know, the, the sort of quintessential lawyer uh -huh. out there in D.C. Um, after I graduated, I took I took the bar exam in New York, just like everybody does. Yeah. Um, and I, I passed. Congrats. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. It's definitely first time shot. Doesn't, doesn't always go for everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, but it worked out for me. And um, I had a job. I was a law clerk okay. to uh, the chief judge over the tax and probate division, mm -hmm. uh, D.C. Superior Court. And D.C. is a special place, given that it's not a state, but it does operate its own court system. It's, uh, if, it, if it were equated to a state, there are only two levels. It's the Superior Court trial level and the appellate court. Okay. And so there's a very small knit family there between the judges and the law clerks. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the path you take. It's like a, you know, you, you go for a certain internship, you got to get on journal, you got to get on moot, moot court or mock trial. You got to do other stuff, um, network, and then you go do a clerkship and then you're off to the races to go mm -hmm. either build your own law firm or join a, 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 a big law. Okay. Um, and in that clerkship, man, I saw, so I still had this passion for, for education building in me, you know, seeing, being now, in Did DC. you know it was building in you while you were going through the process or did you kind of discover it after some things uh, transpired, let's just say? No, I think it was still building in me, man. Um, you I, could feel it. I felt it. Okay. I felt that because my second year of law school was when we did the the, the fellowship where yeah. I taught. My third year of law school, I chaired. I don't, I don't know why I decided to do this, but I chaired an inaugural conference called Constitution from the Courts. Uh -huh. And I invited, we invited like, I don't know, seven area law schools and whoever else to join us for both a basketball tournament a law school basketball tournament and an education policy conference. Hmm. And it was just, it was just to get people together. And I'm okay. like, I, people still need to build around this. So I had enough passion during my third year of law school to still step outside and do this on behalf of education. And then during, and then and, and I was sitting with me and I actually, uh, are you familiar with Echo and Green? No. It's a, uh, it's basically a foundation um, out based out in New York and they try to support social entrepreneurship in other routes. And they had this particular, like in this, I think this was maybe the earlier stages of uh, uh, what was called the uh, campaign campaign for Black Male Achievement mm -hmm. um, with uh, an another group called Open Society, and I was applying for one of the fellowships. I was like, "Hey, man, after got to get a job after being a law clerk, I might as well go and try to, you know, work this angle." Okay. But where the service was burning in me, and I realized we still didn't, I needed to do more for the community, was in the probate court. So probate is is will tr wills trust in the states. And in D.C., you have just like a lot of the places, the tale of two cities. You got, you know, the impoverished chocolate city. And then you got the high powered, high elite, rich 
northwest quadrant of the city and Capitol Hill area. And now it's a much more gentrified. But you would come see people come to probate either with $10,000 in their estate or $10 million. Hmm. And the fight was still the same. Really? Brothers and sisters, uncles, cousins, whomever, squabbling over whatever figure of dollars there were, mm-hmm. but squabbling nonetheless to the point where it was disintegrated after however many hearings and however many wow. um, motions they wanted to file to fight to see who was right. And it just killed me that this was lawyering. I was like, these people are just babysitting these family dramas. And yeah. it, it doesn't matter how much money's involved, they're still going to take the case. Yes. I'm like, somebody got to tell these people this is not how it... <laughs> It don't have to go this way. Yeah, that's not it. It's not it. And this is in death. So I'm like, you know, what are we doing before that point? And, you know, the serve, the best place to serve would be schools, in my mind. You know, churches in the black community have, obviously, a major historical value. Yeah. But when you think just sociologically about touch points, what body, what group, what building in any neighborhood touches the most people? You're either talking about a church or you're talking about a school. Everybody's one degree away from your school, yeah. no matter where you are. So that was sitting with me, man. And then um, uh, just like the universe does, it calls right on time. Um, I broke up with my girlfriend. We were living <laughs> together, going through the quote-unquote divorce. You know what I'm saying? She talking about keeping a dog. And I'm like, yo, the dog is in my name, though. <laughs> <laughs> the tags literally say Sarah Gucci. So, uh, but, you know, she kept the dog. She kept the apartment. <laughs> I, I was a bad negotiator. So, all right, law aside, I, I can't even win in my personal life. But, we, you know, I didn't have any attachments to D.C. Okay. And my law professor called me, what you doing? The director of the program was like, hey, I think this is a great opportunity. Very well-funded nonprofit out, out in California. Hmm. The, the trick is, and you're a Californian, so you can yeah. appreciate this. The trick is you got to move to Sacramento. Ah. And as a New Jersey guy in yeah. D.C., I didn't know it. That, I didn't know California was this damn big. I'm thinking, oh, that's cool, man. Hey, my, my brother, I got a few frat brothers, man. My cousin, people, people in L.A., I'll be good. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Sack is, wow. Yeah. But um, I made the leap, man. And, and in learning more, reaffirming more of what I felt and what I was reading, um, what I felt my second year, what I was reading my third year, mm-hmm. I saw it was playing out in policies across the country in every state. And what's more important about it is the United States has a fragmented approach to education and that we have a U.S. Department of Education, but there's no federal guarantee to it as a right. And I've always felt that and I've stated it, but I didn't know. If it was an absolute, like if it's a hundred percent factual, mm-hmm. but just looking at the schools, you know, I have kids mm-hmm. and looking at just the overall structure of their schools, remembering when I was in school and the, especially like LA Unified, oh, it's, it's, it's a mess. It's a big one. And so, and, and seeing how funds are distributed to certain communities and certain schools, mm-hmm. I could see the fragmentation mm-hmm. and I, and I felt in my spirit that one, it was a setup. I, I, I couldn't prove it though, yep. but I was just like, no, nah, there's something bigger going on here. Um, and I, 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 I equated it to, um, uh, redlining. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
and Ma- major connections there. You, you know the map. I don't remember the name of these maps, but you know the maps where it has the uh, the green zone, the red zone, the yellow zones, mm-hmm. and it shows how funds will be appropriated based on the zone. Mm-hmm. Any any neighborhood or area that was in the red zone received no money because it was like stay away from that. Yellow zones were up and coming. Okay. So keep an eye on that. Green, definitely money needs to go there. Right. So when I learned that, I imagined that all of the schools that were in the green zones, just like the communities, mm-hmm. received funding. Mm-hmm. Schools in the yellow zones, they were on the you know the lookout as okay, we're going to gentrify these areas, and when that takes place, we're going to redevelop and establish these schools. The schools that were in the red zone stay away from mm-hmm. and I began to connect the dots and I said well if that's the case then maybe these same zones where the money goes is also based on voting mm. you know and this is how they split and divide the votes based on the zones and the populace so if you live right across the street right you're in a different territory different zone right which means your vote even though you voted you might vote Democrat or Republican or whatever you vote it's going to go is split mm-hmm. from the other side uh, across the, the street from you. Yeah, I want, I want to look into these maps because that I, you you your hunch may be right on that. Um, I could tell you for sure the old some of the old I've seen some old redlining um, maps from Chicago mm-hmm. and maps from way back in the day to to now, and you can see one how certain neighborhoods were isolated from yeah. resources, transportation resources jobs that are funneled there either by way of you know different city departments county departments anywhere where you can you know they had a decision to make well i imagine because part of your background you work with kevin johnson yep in in uh oakland sacramento Sacramento? yep okay oh so you weren't with him when he went to the bay area no 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 okay Uh, no yeah we were i worked with him for sac in sacramento while he was the mayor so it ended it. in 2016, but I started with working with, with the mayor probably 2013, end of 2013. Okay. Yeah. So there was a documentary that I saw, I don't remember the name, but they were talking about gentrification mm-hmm. and uh, redlining. Anyway, long story short, uh, they focused on, not solely focused, but they, um, Oakland, the Bay Area was a touch point for the documentary. And they were talking about, you know, Kevin Johnson being there. Um, he helped gentrify a certain area, but that area, there was, there was an increased amount of homelessness because people got pushed out of their homes, Mm. um, rent prices skyrocketing. They started doing all these new developments. And again, that area was a yellow zone. Oh, okay. On these maps. On the maps. And so... Because of that, Kevin Johnson was able to um, help some of the businesses to flourish that were there. Um, you know, they built these skyrise condominiums and apartment buildings. And, of course, the rents went from, I don't remember the figure, but let's just say for conversation, it went from $1,200 a month to $3,000 a month in, in, a, in a day. Yeah. So a lot of people were displaced. They were living in their cars and short end of it all is they were just talking about the, the redistricting 
and the redlining and how it's still happening. And um, it, it happens every 10 years to this day. Mm. Um, but no one talks about that. And I think we as a, as a group or as a people, we don't realize that that's what's going on. And I think that based on what you were saying about in terms of um, just education, yep. that's a, another area I believe that we need to be educated on as it pertains to the law, yep. right, mm-hmm. and, um, policies, and history to see what, what has taken place before and then be able to kind of ascertain and see if it's still taking place. Yeah, there's big lessons to learn about land use, um, about ownership. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's reasons why people have purchased, you know, major portions of, of what used to be dead or like blighted urban zones, and they stay that way forever mm-hmm. until, oh, now a stadium's being built. Right. And the taxpayers are paying for 70% of it or, you know, whatever, you know, just for conversational purposes, a majority of it. Um, so these owners are getting like a free subsidy, basically, yeah. to improve this neighborhood. And in theory, it makes sense. Like, hey, you want to the guys with the money, you want to do what you can do to keep them here, because over the long haul, they're going to create this many jobs and this many businesses are going to come. And we're mm-hmm. going to be able to hire local neighborhood folk as the contractors to help right. build it all. And it all sounds great. Yeah. But, you know, as you said, it very rarely does it work out to plan. Yeah. yeah. Um, and man, so it's, it's, it's interesting. You say that we, uh, you know, uh, uh, partner, brother, colleague, um, uh, work, we work in, in, in San Francisco now on a teacher housing project. Mm-hmm. And part of our job there is to identify either plots of land or available properties available in quotes, um, for for uh, a focused effort on on putting black men in those places to teach, and the build out in some of these places um, are in what's what the federal government has been designated as as, as opportunity zones. Mm-hmm. So I'm um, to, to, to the the point about the maps, and I, I definitely we want to I want to dig in to see more about the source of them, where they're coming from. But these opportunity zones are supposed to entice investment right. in these places, and in a lot of these places, especially where they traditionally were, were placed, uh, African-American families and, and, and communities were pushed to these places and they owned them, um, there was never an incentive right. for people to own and build and develop and no. be able to defer taxes on that yeah. in order to get an economic stimulus. But now we got that because mm-hmm. it came with this major tax cut and there are only certain people that can play at the level exactly yeah so anyway (laughs) yeah man i don't know how i got on that maybe somebody needed to hear that i don't know (laughs) but do you think ambition can be taught wow uh i i'm gonna give you a loyally answer it depends i think and then so on that i think there's a yes and a no okay Um, explain both my I'll start with no first because okay. I, I think where I would say no is it, it comes along the same line and vein of reasoning around like you can't coach height or you can't coach um, you can't coach instinct, mm-hmm. you know, on a on a field or in a in a in a different activity or sport like you just people just got a different motor to them. Um, I think some people are just born with a certain level of confidence and understanding of self 
um, that they can put aside any societal pressures or barriers that other folks are throwing up, you know, quote unquote haters to not get deterred from a task. And so in that way, I think there is an innate um, God given ability to pursue either the next level or a higher level or higher purpose that's independent from what other people around you are doing or or pushing you to do. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think ambition is born in folks. And, and I, I think some of the, the greatest success stories out there um, have come from, from prodigies, people who are young enough to either not have had the exposure to role models or to other success stories for that level of influence. Therefore, they had to have it somewhere. It had to be born in them. Mm. It was just too damn young not to not to have been um, uh, that to not have been the case. But on the flip side of it, where I say yes, I think um, not to like get too like kind of hippie with all of this stuff. But I'll go I, hippie. Go I was hippie. I was almost going to be a philosophy major. One of my first classes at Michigan was was a philosophy class. Okay. And I heard of this guy or read about this guy Rene Descartes. Probably saying his name wrong, but whatever. And there's this this theory about um, about knowledge. And uh, uh, the theory was based, or p- part of the theory is this, this theory of the tabula rasa, or blank slate. Tabula rasa. Tabula rasa. Um, uh, T-A-B-U-L-A-R-A-S-A. Uh, two words. And the theory is, is that knowledge, we are born with no knowledge. Right. We are born into the world with nothing. Your brain is a blank slate or a blank sponge that can absorb everything. And in order for you to gain knowledge, it has to be given to you. Mm-hmm. You don't have some just perpetual motion of a brain that's just, okay, now I'm just going to build on myself consistently. It's like, no, just like the human body, you're, going, you're only going to grow with nutrients yeah. and by eating and imbibing and taking in from your external to then do what the body's amazing machine does and takes those other materials and it builds them up. So the brain in the same way can only learn and improve and get better as it's exposed to stuff. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think ambition is one of those exposures. Okay. You don't know to be ambitious until you're around five leaders your whole life. And I, you know, I think this also kind of cuts to a, another social theory of you are the average of five people that you hang that with, you hang with yeah. the most. And it's like, well, if you take you know, the weakest link of those five, let's say you sub them in with a supercharged, you know, human, superhuman, like let's call them Nipsey, Nipsey Hussle. Mm-hmm. Now your level of understanding about what's possible is much different. And, it's, and over a prolonged period of time, it becomes either permanent or it becomes practiced enough where now it's mm-hmm. yours. It's no longer an external, it's internal. So right. that tabula rasa is now an ambitious one. So to the yes, I think some people just have a, a certain drive or inertia or like quickness about being able to absorb other stuff okay. to get better. But I think anybody around something long enough can pick it up and wh- whether or not that leads to, you know, I don't know, becoming the first round draft pick yeah. after your senior year or c- curing cancer. At age 21, because you were a prodigy and went to law school or went to med school at 15 or whatever, um, you know, I think I think you can get it either way. Real quick definition of tabula <laughs> That that word makes me think, and I might be aging myself of a song back in the day. This is for La Rasa. 
<laughs> you remember that. <laughs> but he'd be like, this is for La Rasa. For La Rasa. <laughs> so tabula. See, I'm going to mess it up. Tabula Rasa. Tabula Rasa. Yeah. Definition? Definition is blank slate. Blank slate. Yes. I'm going to incorporate that into my vocab. Oh, man. Yes. Tab- you, we a blank slate, man. You. Uh, and it's so true. It's, it's real. Because I'm sick. As a 33 year old man, it's, you still. I'm picking up gems and nuggets every day. Mm-hmm. And I do my best to incorporate them, but I'm also a stubborn, stubborn man. Uh, and uh, um, I've gotten better as I've gotten older in it, receiving information and incorporating it into my my activity and okay. my, my modus operandi. But, yeah, man, Tabula Rasa, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. I think you can shape somebody to be the greatness, uh, to be the great person that they, they see themselves as wish themselves to be hmm. with the right level of, of environment and external factors sounds right to me <laughs> <laughs> I'm philosophizing right now do you think um, children do you think their inability to focus do you think that inability mm-hmm. carries over into adulthood if um, if it's unchecked Oh, for sure. For sure. And, and okay, so now is it correctable as an adult if they didn't have it as a child? I'm going to give you another. It depends. All right. And I'm going to quote my brother Frederick Douglass on this. And he said, and it's something we, we build on at our organization, um, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Yeah, I've heard that. And so in that, you know, you want to start as early as possible. But he didn't say it's impossible. Yeah, it's definitely not impossible to repair a broken man. It's just we can do it faster if we start earlier. Okay, you build a better foundation, your house is gonna stand. Yeah, but if we're gonna have to bring in hundred contractors, you know, what I'm saying pouring twice the number of amount of concrete or whatever to fix that broken home you got. Um, and when we're talking about human beings, um, I will say this: one of the hardest things on the planet to do is to manipulate adult behavior. You know, a set of learned behaviors um, is there for a reason. And, you know, you can't tell people, are we like, um, I'm from Jersey, man. It's high. I curse a lot. No worries. I almost was going to do it and I stopped. This is a family friendly podcast. Uh, yeah, fine. let's keep it that way. Right. We, we, we keep it PG. We can keep PG. <laughs> uh, so I was going to say, you can't tell uh, most adults anything, Yeah. you know, that, that they think they already know about. And the things people think they know about after the age of 18 might be how to deal with women yeah. if you're a man or how to deal with men if you're a woman or or, or the same, same yeah, stuff. Yeah, I was about yeah. to say, there, you know, there's different strokes so for different folks. So confusing now. <laughs> there's a lot of possibilities out there. But how to deal with someone you're attracted to, uh-huh. um, how to uh, how to receive, how to learn, how mm-hmm. to receive information. Um, you know, there's another social theory that you don't really retain knowledge until you hear it seven times. And some mm. people think they got it the first time. I'm good. Done. You, you texted it to me, right? right I got it. Right. I'm, it's cool. It's part of my mind. I got now. the email. I got the email. So I'm good. But, um, you know, people are set in their ways for the most part. And so in, 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 in trying to, trying to course correct on something as innate and important as focus, mm-hmm whether or not somebody can hold attention on something, it's almost disrespectful to, to tell them, like, you're not doing this as, as well as you think you are. 
Hmm. Um, and I think black men in particular have a certain pride about being able to walk our walk. And that's why I asked that. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I see it. I, I notice it. So how do we, can we communicate that to, to another human being? Hey, mm-hmm. or is that a judgment? Or is that um, something that they kind of have to wake up and realize on their own? Man, um, it's, it's something I think I'm still walking, walking through and processing um, in terms of uh, how, to, how to improve and how to be my best self knowing that that best self is never going to have um, uh, hit a ceiling. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, I'm, you know, until I, till the day I'm, I'm in the dirt, um, there's some improvement to be done. Um, I, think, I think there's a way to do it, and I think the, the best way to do it is through relationship. Mm. And unfortunately, um, you know, to the same earlier point about not seeing somebody that looks like you in the classroom, we got a lot of brothers walking around here that don't see anybody that look like them in their home. True. And in order to be able to trust somebody enough to tell you how to be you in all of the facets of who you are, you got to be in relationship with that person. And a lot of us cut cut guys off. You know, I, I got a problem, right? If my if my father walked in the door right now, I'd, I'd probably dap all of y'all again before I dapped him. <laughs> Like I, in order for him to be dappable, it's got to be an inclusive thing because he that's just that's where I'm at with him. Huh. And I'm building and learning on that. Um, and so for a fatherly lesson of hey, bro, you got to You know, here's where you can tighten up. You know, here's how I would do it. Or um, this is what I'm seeing from you. And I just want to share my experiences around what you're trying to do. You know, I got a couple of partners and, and homies that did it this way. Maybe you should try that. Yeah. In order to receive that well enough, deeply enough, to make it a part of your toolkit, I think you got to be close to somebody. And, and that's hard to do when you're either not in proximity with them, you're not in, in time with them. Uh, you know, oftentimes we, we think it's in this microwave society, this instant gratification of society, spending you know, an hour, two hours with somebody is a real life dedication. Yeah, that's a real thing. I'm giving you two hours. You better be special. You know, it's it's hard for a black man to say to, you know, that that other black man over there is special enough where I'm going to do that. And I'm going to be open to receiving what he's saying because he's likely my peer or he's somebody that I'm I'm learning with, too. So even if even if he's saying some good stuff, I think I know enough good stuff, too, where I'm just going, I'll, I'll, I'll hear it but I'm not going to receive it as something that's, you know, a good thing, a best practice. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I know now I'm, I feel like I'm rambling. Uh, no, so let me, no, so let me slow down. Doing, well, I mean, I think that's a perfect um, segue into the next question is, because what you just mentioned, it, it makes me think of just knowing how to communicate to mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. And so my question to you is how did you develop your communication IQ? Because you do that in, in your job or in your field, you do that a lot with children and adults. Yeah, and, and it's a skill. It is a skill. Um, and an art. And, and an art. <laughs> it's an art and a science and a man a muscle. Yeah. You got to get that. You got to flex that muscle, um, or you got to work on it for a while. I say coming from Jersey, I definitely 
definitely had a lot of learning to do. Hmm. Uh, you know, always not aware of of who's in the room. You know, knowing my audience. Um, always not mindful of of how people receive stuff. Um, and also as somebody that, you know, fancies myself as an intellectual and, you know, take pride in, in, um, being able to speak clearly and with authority because I've either learned about something or I experienced something. Um, yeah, I, f- I felt like I, I, I had it together early and ran into many lessons, particularly in college about missing the mark on how to communicate mm. and, being from the east coast too kind of that go go pep pep um yeah i had to really learn and, and appreciate slowing down did did someone tell you hey randy you're doing too much calm calm yourself or oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> my big brothers my pro fights man those are the first group of brothers that that really gave me the gentle and, and not so gentle sometimes understanding of, of, of self you know, hey man, here's a mirror. You know, take a look at right. that. Um, man, I learned a lot through through women in my life. Um, well, they gonna always let you know that you man. can communicate or not. Ain't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they? so, but the thing with that, I think is, um, I guess it's all the same. But I know the communication that they're looking for mm-hmm. is totally different than um, business and or social communication yeah. like the, what you do every day you're going to communicate to those people way differently than you would communicate to your woman for sure right mm. even though it's all communication and being able to express your thoughts and what's on your heart and mind yeah um they are kind of different i think maybe i'm wrong mm-hmm. I, you probably again the communication iq your iq may be higher than mine in that regard oh no nah, so just in terms of how can we get or how can we show or teach people that aren't the best communicators Mm -hmm. hey start here then go there then work on this read this book listen to whatever like what are some of the if you had to sum it up in three steps what would you say for improvements to communication yeah Mm-hmm. Um, for I would say appreciate that less is more mm-hmm. if it takes you longer to say something to somebody that means you either don't know what you're talking about or you don't have a, as good a grip on it as you think you do because um, concision is, is a skill you got to be able to know how to simplify things because the majority of the world is a simple place yeah you know it's not black and white but gray is like people get gray they get that mm-hmm. can you communicate that though is with as little words as possible um i think is, is is step one um step two is know your audience you gotta know to your point about the different dimensions of your life and the different dimensions of 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 where you're trying to go um the people matter because ultimately communication doesn't occur in a in a vacuum or by yourself mm-hmm. communication most literally is for the other person so if you ain't thinking about the other person while you're talking or while you're writing you're not a good communicator right um and the last thing i'll say uh the last step wow man this is like not a i feel like i <laughs> i needed i need to read a few more books man <laughs> you're um, doing great 
the last thing I'll say is to to be humble in the process. And what I mean by that is is that people understand that nobody's perfect. And people understand that um, even somebody who's a self-proclaimed expert or knows more than the other person, um, a conversation is ultimately the baseline of any platform of communication. You know, okay. you, you, we, with one person or with a thousand, um, we're just talking. We're just sharing our experiences. Yeah. And so you're going to get feedback if you're if you are an effective communicator and being able to say it with as little words as possible, having a great understanding of who you're saying those things to mm -hmm. and then being humble about whatever feedback or reflection you get. You can you're going to be able you're going to live to see another day and repeat that process. Yeah, because you can lose anybody in any of those steps. But the final step, the bottom line has got to be humility in the response. So true. Yeah. When you're looking to. um change directions in your life um, how do you lead yourself into those new directions especially if they're unknown or uncharted man um, you gotta have faith in taking a step in the dark on that staircase and believing that the step is gonna be there mm. um, I say any, mo any different direction has to have a bedrock of faith because to your point, you don't you don't know, right? Yeah, and if and if you did, you would have did it yesterday. So, or are you, do year. you have faith in this <clears throat> in, in in that step is going to be there, or do, are you having faith in yourself and you taking the right step? Oh, that's good. That's a good distinction. Um, I think both. I think I think the fa faith that the step will be there empowers and emboldens the faith to take the step, um, knowing that somebody else has got your back and that the universe is watching out for you um, should give you the courage to pick up your foot and, and drop it down. Um, you know, I've, I've, I think I've, if I look back on my life, I've taken a couple of different pivots um, that were, were precarious and, you know, a little loose. Um, and I, I, even in, in taking multiple steps after the first one and building up whatever confidence to go with the first step, those multiple steps thereafter were still shaky and there was still some taste and flavors of regret around not getting to where I wanted to be fast enough or not hitting a measure of success that I saw a, a quote-unquote peer getting. Um, and the, the faith in endurance um, in my own endurance and in the in the durability of the pathway, this is going to be able to hold me up to right. get to the top. Um, it can't. It certainly came with challenges, man. I'd be a I'd I'm be sure. a liar if I sat here and said like, yeah, I was resolute the whole time. No way. I'm sure. Yeah. A few more questions for you. Yes, sir. How do you ensure your effectiveness as a leader? Um. And these are some tough questions, right? <laughs> Hitting the power punching questions. I think you, I think you ensure effectiveness in a leader by by by. Mm. Yeah, I got a lot of thoughts running through my head. 
I think you ensure ensure effectiveness as a leader in empowering yourself and your vision. Empowering self and your vision. In, in your vision. In your vision. In your vision. Um, and and um, the founder of this this fellowship that I was I'm in uh, called the Surge Institute. Shout out to Surge, uh, accelerator for leaders of color in education. She had a similar story around her development uh, of the organization in that people didn't believe in it. They laughed. They, you know, this wasn't going to happen. You know, why would you do that? You know, that's that's discriminating. You're not helping other people, blah, blah, blah. But she was so resolved in it. And it was uh, an aha moment for her was when she realized that all of these non-believers were judging her vision that these non-believers were just blind to her vision. Hmm. And in looking for their approval or validation or support, she was asking blind people to read her vision. Wow. She had bars. I was like, damn, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, and how, how can you do that? How can you have a vision and expect blind people to see it? You can't. You can't. You got to have, you got to have that, that, you got to have it in your mind's eye and you got to be so sure of it, so confident that this is where I'm going, at least your direction. Yes. That I think your effectiveness, your effectiveness of leadership in bringing anybody else with you or attracting people to it, um, it rests on that. Mm -hmm. It rests on your belief and your resolve that this is going to happen and I'm the person that's going to be a part of it happening. Um, I think effectiveness starts there and then like okay. to any sort of tactical level or like how you roll out yeah. strategy. I think that comes with the team. Right. Absolutely. And, and ultimately your team is a reflection of, of your, your, how effective you are too. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. What leader motivates and inspires you? Mm, I mean, got to start with, with president Obama. Okay. I mean, it's just, most recent before him before him <laughs> um before him i'm gonna say you know without getting into the cliches obviously dr king's mm -hmm. inspiration to everybody um malcolm x um say what you want about how radical he was or how radical the media dubbed him to be he's one of the greats um, I think the, the major inspiration for me probably came from my mother. It's the best leader. My first leader. Uh, she believed in us as a family and her as a, a cornerstone of that in every shape form possible like you talk about you know I, I, you know without getting into family history and of, you know going for broke and that euphemism of like i'm gonna put everything out there for what i believe in and yeah. who i believe in she just did that every day okay and she was so sure that we would be successful you know her children um that sacrifice to her wasn't wasn't that mm. it wasn't a price yeah it was an investment um, and to have that level of faith and trust in in the long haul, one you know, as a, as a father, I'm sure you know you, you you do anything for your children. Absolutely. You know, there's that, but you 
you also as a person and as an adult in this life who you know has who has dreams and visions and goals you know unto yourself you know to to pour into other humans so selflessly um was was really where i saw servant leadership for the first time and you know i was able to believe in it, it re that re my, my belief in it was renewed daily you know through through college really okay. um and you know this is going to sound i think this is not not how i wanted to sound but i i say through college and a stop point there between college and law school of where i really i sort of grew in my own brand of leadership beyond her because she there wasn't an area where I, we could relate anymore mm. you know she didn't um the higher education piece as a quote-unquote first-gen student yeah. you know she went to school after i did she finished school after i finished school actually after the three or three of uh, out of the four of us finished she went back to school oh wow and so she and, and got summa cum laude oh. she's brilliant and I told, we told her that the whole life, man. My mother's amazing. Um, I um, I was I was blessed to have to have that inspiration to a, a, a pivotal point in my adult development. Yeah. But I, I was saddened by the fact that I, I also did notice that there was a place where I, I couldn't learn from her as much anymore, mm. um, and couldn't share with her the the struggles and the trials and the challenges as clearly or as frequently as I did before. Right. Um, but she definitely got me to a point where um, I was at least in the water and safe okay, and could paddle my way, you know, yeah. through the rest of it. What makes a leader great and iconic to you? Um, I've, I've heard this from a mentor, so I can't take credit for it, but okay. I think a leader is measured by the number of leaders they create thereafter. You know, anybody can can get a bunch of followers. I think Instagram has shown that uh, Facebook, social media, this inflation of who's paying attention to who and why. But the mark of the true mark of leadership is how much impact you create through the folks you've inspired to go and lead and inspire others. And you know, pyramid schemes are <laughs> give it a bad name. But if you look, if you look at at the at the the the, the structure of it, it does start with one person. Yeah, and, and builds up and builds and builds down. Oh, but, but, start, but yeah, yeah, okay. builds down. But you flip it on your head, and you know, I gotta give props, props, and shout out to my boy for this too. We took our org chart and flipped it on his head. So instead of there being like the line staff at the bottom, mm -hmm. at the bottom, it's 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 the board and me and we build up to the team up top like a funnel like a funnel moving up yeah and but you know f f physiologically that that doesn't doesn't sound right it don't feel right because you, you've never seen a pyramid up upside down Inverted, on yeah but um i think if you look at it you know the, the you know i think one one common example is coaching trees mm -hmm. we talk about greg popovich and all of the people he's is you know led and and are now leading teams across the league um the nba uh for the same way i think there are leaders in the, in the education system there are leaders in in the legal system uh leaders in medicine that you will never hear about but were mentors to and inspiration to folks that have gone off to do great things mm -hmm. in across the world um i think a leader becomes an icon when you know that they created 
as many other leaders as possible and we're intentional about that level of gift not a gift to other people to keep seeing me but hey i'm gonna put you in position to go and do great things beyond yourself mm-hmm. and if i can create you as a leader i did my job i think legends do that i would have to agree i would have to agree. <laughs> final question i ask everyone this is called the blank canvas question uh, imagine you're an artist you have a well not imagine because you are an artist but you have a blank canvas yeah. you have all these colors in front of you um, and you're painting and designing your life on this canvas you have attained the, the highest level of success in your career um, you've impacted the world beyond your dreams Money is not an issue. You mm. have tons of it. Take it off the table. Okay. What picture do you paint for your life on this blank canvas? Oh, wow. That's a beautiful question, man. Um, and I'm assuming, given that it's a blank canvas question, any answer is relevant. It's, it's your oh, canvas. It's my, it's my canvas. Your picture. Um, Man, I'm a... I do, I imagine myself to be an inclusive guy. Okay. And as such, if we're talking about art, we're talking about color, the canvas has to start in all black as the aggregate of all colors, mm-hmm. literally. White is the absence of color. Black is the absolute presence of all of them. Okay. So I, I have to color the whole thing black. Um, it's easier on the eyes. <laughs> Our less melanated brothers and sisters just, you know. Uh, but I'd have to start black. I would have water in there somewhere, just mm-hmm. as a boy that grew up on the beach, um, Asbury Park. Shout out Asbury Park. Um, water... I've always had a connection to just in its beauty, but also in its foundational, um, its found its foundational uh, uh, presence as a support for life. Okay. You can't have any anything I could imagine I'm doing. I gotta be around water. I gotta have it um, in the vicinity. Um, and so I'm bad at being able to just come up with a, just a beautiful depiction of of what's available and just I got I only can give you the ingredients right now so perfect (laughs) so black water um around coming back to the theme of communication and and I know this wasn't part of the question per se but um if money's not an option you know I don't have to necessarily follow any sort of vocation that will get me there right um but I gotta do something with myself I'm gonna I'm a doer and I'm an achiever uh, executor mm-hmm. um, and a communicator. I do believe that. And you, to me, the universal language on this planet is music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have to create that. I would have to want to fulfill myself and being able to pass the time. Okay. And spending time creating and leaving um, something that I can pass on to others. I think, I think the a platform would be music. And as part of the mission of around that connectivity, 
and wanting to reach as many people as possible. If you think about the globe, the only thing that connects us, because we no longer have connected land masses, are the waters, Yes, are our, our oceans. Um, so I would want to marry uh, the all-inclusive blackness with the vehicle of water and the product of music to reach as many people as I can. Okay. And the last thing you gotta have, just to tie tie a nice little bow on all of it, <laughs> is some 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 symbol or representation of love. It's mm, a big one. And I think I think as a theme, uh, I think people conflate it oftentimes in this this kind of speaking of music, this popular sort of and and you know, almost like obsession with sex and you know physical um, uh, physical pleasure. Yeah. Um, love is so much deeper than that. And, you know, it's, it's not something that is connected or, or factored by time as much as people think it is. Mm -hmm. um, I've definitely been in rooms and met places, people in, in places where after a day-long conference, you know, people are throwing out the L word. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the, my core of service and my passion around helping others is really grounded and rooted in love. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what message I'm carrying through that music, no matter what message we're pushing across that water um, into our ubiquity of blackness um, it's got to be rooted in in love amazing <laughs> I like that picture it's a nice one appreciate you bro well man I want to thank you for coming on the show and I also want to salute you for all of the work that you're, do you're doing um, with the Urban Ed Academy and you know helping teaching and training our future that's to come as well as leading grown men and women that you work with it's, it's so needed we we need more examples and role models such as yourself in the world um, especially in underprivileged communities and mm. i thank you for your work even though i don't know everything that's involved but what i do know for a fact you're doing great hey. and the work that you do is 100% needed, and there is a ton of value that you give. So, um, Thank you, man. Yeah, salute you and honor you. Now, this is your moment to let people know how they can find you, whether it's on social media, if it's a website, um, email, if they want to contribute, help with the cause, or if mm. there's something that they can vote on. I mean, I don't know. So. Oh, wow. All right, how much time do I have for this? Not go, very long. Go. Go? Go? Okay. I mean, not too long. Too long. No, 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 no. <laughs> we, so one, I would say, so thank you, man. First off, uh, I appreciate and acknowledge um, your leadership in congregating these stories um, and, and sharing them with the world. Um, this platform is needed as well, and, and I'm honored to be here um, uh, for sure. Thank you, man. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Um with Urban Ed Academy, uh, we do have a vision to, to put more black men in front of our young black students. Mm -hmm. um, and so our, our goal of getting 100 black men moved to San Francisco um, is uh, <laughs> our goal of moving. That's my bad. No, I forgot you to put good. it on the airplane mode. Oh, it's good. Uh, our goal of, of moving 100 black men into San Francisco, the most expensive rental market in the world. Yeah. Um, uh, to teach our young students in elementary school um, is, is coming along and going strong. Um, we're entering the second year 
of the plan. Uh, it's called Man the Bay. And you can find out more at www.urbanedacademy.org or at manthebay.org. Um, uh, we currently have the sites under construction, but those will be available very soon for uh, public consumption. Um, and to the degree you can support, we are a nonprofit, so okay. definitely uh, <laughs> we're willing to take any and all donations um, and any and all connections because uh, this is also about uh, what we're calling a social exchange mm -hmm. to help the community, namely the community of color that's left in San Francisco, to support us with this teacher housing journey and recruitment. Okay. Um, uh, lastly, I would say um, we are gearing, doing all of this to gear up for a very big 2020 year. And for those in California, um, watch out for the ballot initiatives that are coming next year. One of them is, called, is going to be a, an amendment to Prop 13, mm -hmm. which um, put a cap on what property taxes are assessed out there. Yeah. We're trying to open it up so we're getting some more money to the people. So look out for that. And then I'm hopeful that we can get a repeal on what's called Prop 209, okay. which is a current ban on affirmative action. Mm. It doesn't allow us to spend our public money the way we're trying to do it up in the Bay um, with an equity focus and a lens on people of color. Um, so get involved. Get registered if you're not. Get your neighbor involved next year. It's going to be huge. Um, but uh, uh, there's lots of good work being done all over this state. So um, we appreciate uh, the platform to talk about ours. Okay. Yeah. Excellent, man. Thank you again. My brother. Appreciate I you. Appreciate man. it. Yes, sir. It's a pleasure. Yes, sir. This conversation definitely provoked many levels of thought for me. I was always under the impression that one either had ambition or they didn't. Based on Randy's input, I now believe that it is not too late to acquire it if you don't have it. The Tabula Rosa also got my attention, so much so, I'm going to start calling the blank canvas question the Tabula Rosa. To learn more about Urban Ed Academy, visit www.urbanedacademy.org. Or, if you would like to donate, visit www.manthebay.org. And remember, put others in position to lead. Have faith in your steps, take charge, and lead up. Lastly, if you know of anyone who could benefit from this podcast, please share it. And if you're interested in donating, Click the link in the description of the Lead Up podcast. Thanks for listening.